A reading from the second book of Kings. Now when the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven by a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were on their way from Gilgal. Elijah said to Elisha, Stay here, for the Lord has sent me as far as Bethel. But Elijah says, Elisha said, As the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. The company of prophets who were in Bethel came out to Elisha and said to him, Do you know that today the Lord will take your master away from you? And he said, Yes, I know. Keep silent. Elijah said to him, Elisha, stay here, for the Lord has sent me to Jericho. But he said, As the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they came to Jericho. The company of prophets who were in Jericho drew near to Elisha and said to him, Do you know that today the Lord will take your master away from you? And he answered, Yes, I know. Be silent. Then Elijah said to him, Stay here, for the Lord has sent me to the Jordan. But he said, As the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So the two of them went on. Fifty men of the company of prophets also went and stood at some distance from them, as they both were standing by the Jordan. Then Elijah took up his mantle, rolled it up, and struck the water. The water was parted to the one side and to the other until the two of them crossed on dry ground. When they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, Tell me what I may do for you before I am taken from you. Elisha said, Please let me inherit a double share of your spirit. He responded, You have asked a hard thing. Yet, if you see me as I am being taken from you, it will be granted to you. If not, it will not. As they continued walking and talking, a chariot of fire and horses of fire separated the two of them, and Elijah ascended into the whirlwind into heaven. Elisha kept watching and crying out, Father, Father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. But when he could no longer see him, he grasped his own clothes and tore them in two pieces. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the people. The truth of the gospel is clear to all who are destined for salvation. It is only those whose minds are closed to Christ who cannot comprehend the good news. A reading from the second letter of Paul to the Corinthians. If our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel and the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For we do not proclaim ourselves. We proclaim Jesus Christ as Lord and ourselves as your slaves for Jesus' sake. For it is the God who said, Let light shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. Thanks be to God. The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Mark. Glory to you, Lord Christ. 
Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain apart by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his clothes became dazzling white, such as no one on earth could reach them. And there appeared to them Elijah with Moses, who were talking with Jesus. Then Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three dwellings, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. He did not know what to say, for they were terrified. Then a cloud overshadowed them, and from the cloud there came a voice, This is my Son, the Beloved. Listen to him. Suddenly, when they looked around, they saw no one with them anymore, but only Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, he ordered them to tell no one about what they had seen until after the Son of Man had risen from the dead. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. I am not at all sure that I'm amplifying, so if you can't hear me, wave. Uh, in case you have not met me, I'm Lydia Speller. I've been a priest in the Diocese of Missouri for, oh, 19 years. I left a, a parish in South St. Louis to work as an interim, and between interims, I am uh, worshiping with you, sitting in the back of the choir with my husband, um, John. You doubtless know that um, today Dan is spending some extra time with his family and getting them off to the airport after his uh, triumphant thesis events. So he'll be with you for Shrove Tuesday and Ash Wednesday and the bishop's visit. He's just having a little downtime today with his family. <laughs> Every year we read one or another version of this story of the Transfiguration right at the end of the season of Epiphany, right before the season of Lent. Um, if Epiphany is the season when God is revealed, the last of those revelations, if you like, um, is the Transfiguration. Jesus is revealed as God's holy and beloved in his baptism, uh, at the beginning of Epiphany, revealed even before that to the travelers from the east, Revealed after that to um, at the wedding at Cana where he changes water into wine. Uh, revealed in his healings. And so the final uh, epiphany is this story of Jesus on the mountaintop. He goes up to the top of the mountain with his inner circle of disciples, Peter, James, and John. Um, and we're told he is transfigured before them. He's transformed. His clothes are dazzling white as no cleaner on earth could clean them. Uh, and the disciples have this vision of Jesus with Moses and Elijah, the two great messengers of God uh, in the Hebrew Scriptures. And Jesus is talking with them. Uh, a sign of his 
um, importance in God's work in transforming the world. Now, Mark, uh, more than any of the other uh, gospel writers, perhaps, has a pretty low estimate of the uh, spiritual and intellectual powers of the disciples. So, uh, since he's the first gospel writer, everybody copies him in telling the story. Uh, Peter, James, and John, um, immediately when they see this vision of Jesus talking to Moses and Elijah, decide that it would be good to build something. They say, it's good for here. Let's make three dwellings. One for you, one for Elijah, and one for Moses. Duh. Mark wants you to see how silly uh, the disciples are being. They have this opportunity to see God at work transforming the world, and they want to form a building committee. <laughs> now, I learned this time last year from the Bishop of Montana that there are, in fact, three um, cement block buildings on the top of the mount, which uh, pilgrims are shown and told that that's the mountain of the transfiguration. Um, and those three, as often with the holy places um, in Israel, uh, there's a, you know, sort of one for the Catholics, one for the Orthodox, and one for some other religious group, um, because they can't even share the momentous days of Jesus' life. Uh, they have to have their own building. Um, he reports that there's also a Pepsi machine. <laughs> uh, unless you are uh, very different from most other churches, and this kind of looks to me like you're not that different, the little time I've spent with you, um, you probably spend a lot of time and money on your buildings. Uh, we laugh at the disciples for seeing a building opportunity in uh, a holy moment, but often in churches we substitute uh, a concrete institutional opportunity for a holy moment. Most church budgets spend way more of their operating income on property, including heating and lighting uh, and maintenance, than we do on Christian education for our children, on our music to enhance our worship, on advertising our presence in the community, in welcoming, you know, to welcome others to join us. We spend more money on buildings than on ministries of justice and compassion towards those whom Jesus cared for the most. The poor, the sick, the foreigner, the young, the powerless, and the forgotten. We spend hours every year uh, in most churches talking about how we need to fix up this and, you know, get to that before it gets worse and tidy up the other thing. And in many churches, we spend more time doing that than we do asking ourselves who God calls us to be as individuals or how we're called to live as a congregation. So Peter, James, and John stammer out the silly thing about how it's good to be here but maybe they can't think of anything else to do. It's easier to deal with the solid, the concrete, the building, the institution. Clergy are not much better, of course. We often are so tied up in the politics of the church and 
the uh, success of our congregations and the size of our pledges and the format of our bulletins and the beauty of our investments, um, that we think that's what matters and forget about the presence of the holy. God doesn't really want us to build or embellish anything. God doesn't even want a cold Pepsi. God wants our awed attention. But it's easier to focus on the solid and the concrete than to open ourselves to the voice of God saying, you are my beloved, and calling us to who knows what that might come from attending with wonder to the presence of God. Now, in the little while I've been at Advent, um, I've seen two uh, really wonderful transfiguration things about you. Um, one of them is that you're the only Episcopal church in the Diocese of Missouri, I am confident this is true, where the senior warden will use the word theosis sometimes. <laughs> um, theosis is that divination word. Those of you who were part of a quarterly vestry meeting where you were reading articles from um, uh, Richard Valentasis and talking about them, and I think you've done some of that in adult forums times. Um, this idea that um, God is in the process of transforming us, that God became human, that we might become divine and be part of God's work of uh, transforming the creation. That language is here in your collect for today. Uh, we, we, uh, if you look at the collect back on page three, it talks about how uh, Christ was revealed on the mountain and prays that we will be changed into Christ's likeness from glory to glory. That's that process um, of transformation so the transfiguration is happening in each of us, and it's happening in this place, and it's happening where you invite people from the community to gather with you um, on Thursdays, where uh, Deb brings uh, healing and hospitality to uh, the program here and to the other churches of the SAGE ministry. You are being transformed transfigured by God. And in the hospitality that you show to people, you also um, let them know that God wants them to know that they are God's beloved and that God is well pleased. For me, the other trans, the other mountaintop moment was this weekend. You, uh, Friday, I was there as many of you were, when Dan um, defended his thesis, he was, you know, he's always incredibly articulate. He was even more articulate, um, both in what he wrote and in what he responded to the questions. Um, it was lovely to see uh, him answer the responses of his professors and the respect that they show for him and the scholarship and the real affection that they have for him. And of course, they thought his thesis was great. His dissertation was fabulous. 
Um, and you all were here, but I was not, to celebrate that dissertation Friday night with a fabulous party. This is really, just as the Transfiguration is a hinge point in the Gospel of Mark and a hinge point in the church's year, so Dan getting his dissertation approved, which you have so generously and lovingly supported him through, you should be getting that degree in that nice flying hat. <laughs> it's a mountaintop moment for all of you in your um, care for the clergy and the way that you are a community of prayer and of um, learning and teaching and how you value that um, and live out of his, you know, how you appropriated a lot of his theological acumen. Um, it's a mountaintop moment when you get that, see that degree close to hand. But it's also the beginning of a new period for you. Um, you need, you know, you're going to be living together in a new way. You're going to be imagining your life in some new ways. Um, you're going to be supporting Dan and he's supporting you in some new ways. Um, you can't just stay there with that fabulous party or that fabulous dissertation. Something else is going to happen. Just as the disciples couldn't just stay there with this vision of Jesus, it had to end uh, and move on to a new phase of the ministry of Jesus. That's your transfiguration moment. And Lent is right around the corner. Lent's a time to listen for the voice of God. Lent is a time to hear God calling us to new ways to live and new ways to be and new challenges to support one another through. Lent's a time to listen to our dreams and our imagining, to be ready to see the vision of God to see reality transfigured, to think about how God is transforming us and transforming the world through us. This might take time to listen to that fearful voice saying, you are God's beloved child, and wonder how it calls you, even more than you do now, to overcome the barriers between people, to follow Jesus in building community, to follow Jesus in naming hypocrisy and injustice. We'll start with Ash Wednesday, of course. We'll acknowledge that all that we have made, and we ourselves, are dust. Ash Wednesday gives us the beginning of a season apart. A time to listen for the voice of God. Jesus spoke with Moses and Elijah, but he went down to touch the lepers, to let women anoint his feet, to cry out against commerce in the holy temple, to walk the streets of the city, to break bread with friend and stranger, to proclaim that the world belongs not to Caesar or to any earthly government, but to God, who alone can bring peace and justice in the world. So Jesus came down from the mountain and headed for Jerusalem. Let us come into that season of Lent, wondering where God calls us to head, how God calls us to serve, 
and how we can bear witness to that transforming power of the Holy One. Amen. Amen. Amen.